you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to take them and turn with me to the book of Colossians. Our text this morning will be found in chapter 4, uh, the last chapter of that book. And I'll read in just a moment, verses 2 through verse 6. Colossians chapter 4, 2 through 6. Hopefully you have a Bible. If not, make sure you know you can grab one up here on the table. There's one downstairs as well. Everything that we say, everything that we do as a church is based upon this word. I want to make sure that you know it comes from here. I'm not making anything up so that you have that to go on. Thank you, Matt, for leading us in worship. You sound horrible. Not the singing, just I know he is hurting and uh, praise God for his willingness to serve. I am so glad that you are here this morning. This has been on many fronts. I know several that have had a really, really tough week. And it's in times like this that we can go to the Lord. He knows our hearts and he comforts. And Lord willing, the Holy Spirit also quickens, convicts, and awakes our hearts. And so that is our prayer this morning that we would hear together from the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me first and foremost and pray with me as we dedicate this time to the Lord. Father, I want to thank you so much for every person that is here. I thank you, Lord, for um, you ordaining the local church, for us having the privilege of being um, your children. But even at this very moment, as we come into the throne room of grace, it is literally as if big, huge doors swing open. That we are ushered into your presence, that we are announced by name, and and we're not announced, Lord, as some foreign or distant person, but we are introduced as your own adopted children because of Jesus. We thank you for that. I pray, Lord, that we would take full um, advantage of these few moments that you have graced us with as a gift to be together, to lift up our voices in praise as we have already done. And now, Lord, as our heads are bowed in your presence, we ask, Lord, that you would speak. We thank you, Lord, for the, the perfect the precision of of your word. We thank you, Lord, for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit that is here with us. I thank you, Lord, for um, every person um, and the gifts that you've given to them. We thank you, Lord, that you know the very deepest and innermost parts of our soul, that you see every detail, you know every secret, things that we don't want anyone else to know or see. We thank you, Lord, that you know us that well and that you still love us. We're grateful for your forgiveness and your healing and rescuing and redeeming each one of us. Father, I would ask now for these few moments that you would please give me the help that is needed. Guard my mind and my mouth. May everything that is spoken be for your glory. We ask this in the precious and powerful name of our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus. Amen and amen. Okay, let me direct your attention. Uh, chapter 4, Colossians. It's a little odd. You're thinking we're starting in the last chapter. 
Uh, we know that Colossians, a letter written um, from the Apostle Paul, he's actually in prison. It's considered one of the prison epistles. Uh, he writes to this church in Colossae that is wavering in their understanding of, of the gospel. And so he has written on the subject of the preeminence of Christ. He's written on the subject of the prominence of, of um, and the place of the local church. He's talked about the fact that we can have a new life in Christ, uh, that the dead is made alive. Paul has given instructions specifically on our homes when it comes to how we do this marriage thing and, and this family thing. And then he concludes and he summarizes, in a sense, what we have to be um, on the same page with, but also how we present ourselves to those outside of the local church. So, pick it up in verse 2, Colossians chapter 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always, always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That one phrase I want to direct our attention to in verse 3, pray that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Perhaps the single most important prayer that we could ever utter from our lips, God, please open a door for us to declare the mystery of Christ. Um, Since May the 1st, uh, 2011, that was the first time that I preached here as your pastor, I have preached about 295 different messages. I've preached each of them twice, which is one of the reasons why I'm looking forward to our new church building when I can preach just once on Sunday morning. I have preached through series from the book of James, from the book of Galatians. We preached through the book of First Peter, um, the book of Acts. And as you know, we just finished up through the gospel of Mark. I've done many series on Ephesians chapter 4, on Romans chapter 12, and Matthew chapter 5. Since that very first weekend, that, that weekend in May, to set your time frame a little bit, two days before I preached was the, the day that Prince William married Princess Kate. It was that Friday night, I believe. The day after I preached on May the 2nd was the day that Osama bin Laden was hunted down and killed. It's been that long, and we have moved our way through a number of different scriptures. And today, this day, we mark it as a day with another series. It's different. It's different than any series I've ever preached. I don't know if there has ever been a series in which I have spent more time in prayer and preparation than this. Why? Because where we are at as a church, 
We are in a very unique time. The elders, the other pastors, and I have spent significant time talking and planning and and praying, but most importantly, trusting God with where he wants us to go. Why? Because of where we are as a local church. This series, I, I want to call it Rescued. Rescued. Why the church is called to reach the community. It's pretty simple understanding definition of the word rescue means to save someone from a dangerous or a distressing situation. The word rescued is simply what? It's past tense, which means it has already taken place. And it is, it is, it is no secret that we live in a world that is filled. We wake up to every single morning with a world that is filled with people who are distressed about everything from another terrorist attack to the, to, to, to the results of a test that, that is coming back. They're distressed about another possible hurricane that's forming or the possibility of heart disease. And what people are doing in order to deal with this stress is that they're, they're bringing things into the life and they're doing things and they're trying things that are destructive. And oddly enough, they're even more dangerous just to cope with some of the stress that they're facing. But you and I know, you and I know that what? When Jesus Christ walked out of that tomb, that first Easter morning, He literally rescued mankind from the fear of death. He rescued mankind from every distress that we could ever, ever imagine. And he offers not just life, but it says that he offers life more abundantly. And he offers abundant life only to those who truly trust him as Lord and as Savior. That that is good news. That is the greatest news that we could ever hold, that we could ever hear. And therefore, it's because of that good news that literally changes lives that we are instructed to tell everyone, tell everyone that we know about Jesus. Do you realize this? Those of you who are here this morning that God has literally rescued, you realize that those whom, whom God has adopted to be his own child. Those of you who have put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, those chosen ones, those who have been redeemed, those beloved and holy, those special ones, those set apart ones, you realize this, that God's desire is that he use you, you. All your little quirks and weirdness about every single one of us. All the little odd habits and interests and your snorty little laugh that bothers other people. You, God desires to use you to declare his glory through the sharing of the message of the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. How, how, how do we do that? That's what this series is about. Now, we are setting out over the next couple months, and I want to give you, number one, what I call a one-part objective. We have a single goal that we want to accomplish over these next couple months. A one-part objective, and it is this, to mobilize the local church to develop meaningful relationships 
so we can accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. We have one single goal, one part objective. We're going to allow this to bubble up to the surface. How are we doing on this, on mobilizing the local church? That word mobilize, it's oftentimes, oddly enough, used as a military term. It, It means this, to prepare and organize for active service. It means to make something movable. The definition of what it means to mobilize. You know how when you look at a definition, then they use that one word in a sentence so you get a little bit of an idea or an understanding about it? You know how they do that? When you look at a definition, they use the word. This is the sentence that came up, and I thought, it's so perfect, it's so appropriate, because it deals with a subject that I'm so familiar with. Listen to this. To mobilize, doing yoga stretches to mobilize compacted joints. Because every morning and every night, I start my day and finish my day with yoga. No. No. I've, I've never done it. I don't know anything about yoga other than the fact that if you do it, to my understanding, what it does is it begins to loosen. What? It begins to, to make free again and allow movement to joints that have been stiff. Realize that we are given what? We've been given the picture that we are the body of Christ. What I have found is that we do certain things um, certain ways all the time. Through this series, we're going to have to examine how we're doing church. We're going to have to examine how you are living life. And perhaps what? We'll do a little spiritual yoga. That is not in my notes. I have no idea where that came from. But that's, in a sense, what we're doing here. We're mobilizing. We're we're getting joints moving that have not moved in the past. We're we're thinking differently rather than this is what we always do. How is this going to happen? We mobilize by developing meaningful relationships. We were praying this past Wednesday night as elders, and one of the elders used this term, meaningful relationships. That's how it's going to happen. Look look at what we just read when it talks about um, uh, Paul's address here, that that we have this word that is given, a door is open, so a word that is given to make it clear, uh, which is how I ought to speak. And he talks about walking in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Every minute, what? Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, There's two words that come to mind with that text. And when it comes to the relationship with those outside the church is we're to display grace as we speak to them. And we're to be, what, wise when we speak to them. Keep those two words in mind as we establish, as we mobilize the church towards meaningful relationships. We do it in a way that always, every word that pours out is is gracious and is wise. That's the focus. Yeah, but, but like, like, I'm shy. Like, how do I do this? Like, develop relationships. It, it's odd that as many people who, who have, have asked me that question, like, how do I do this? Let me give you an example. You have in your pocket probably at this very moment, or perhaps in your purse, and hopefully I'm speaking to the ladies on that. 
a phone or a cell phone. Um, totally different. Remember years ago, the, the phone that used to hang on the wall, okay? And my mom would order, like, you know, the twisty little, little cord. She'd have to order, like, an extra long one because she wanted to do things in the kitchen, okay? And then when the phone rang, it, like, rattled, literally, like, shook. It rattled the entire house. Okay, we have something. It's totally, totally different than that. It's a phone, but in all honesty, it's a whole lot more than a phone. It's a computer. In that little thing, it's a computer. You can literally talk to it. You can ask it anything you want. It won the World Series in 1947. And, and, and it knows almost everything. What you can do with your phone, you can pick it up and talk to people. You can text them. You can email them. You can FaceTime, as we regularly do, to the other side of the world. And yet with that phone, you can pay your bills on it. You can move money from one account to another. You can plan trips. No more sitting down, flipping through uh, uh, calendars or magazines and pictures. It's all there. You plan your trips. You book your flights, your hotels, your car rentals, anywhere at any time. We know as well that it's not really just a phone. It's not really just a computer. It's a camera where we can take pictures. And goodness gracious, are we taking pictures of a lot of things because all of life that is going on. My little grandson with food smeared on his face looks so funny. Where's the phone? Get a picture of it. And we have videos. We can record videos and we can send those to anyone at any time. So not only is it just taking pictures, it's actually storing our pictures. It's a photo album. Remember years ago with those little sticky pages, they'd stick together and it's a photo. No more photo albums. Why? Because it's all on your phone. People, I understand, can play games on their phone. I've never done that before. Honestly, I have no idea. But to my understanding, there's a lot of people who spend a lot of time just playing games on their phone. You can read whole books. You can watch television. You can watch movies. Not only that, but you can take your phone and there's a calculator on it. I was golfing this past week and my score was getting so high. I actually had to use my phone. I had to use the calculator because I can't even count that high. Not only is it a calculator, I was in my... Back lawn last night, there was a bear in our lawn a couple days ago. And so last night, I'm in the back, and and, and my phone actually is a flashlight. took me a while to find the button, but it really is. It does all of those things. And yet, if there's one thing that that phone does that I think is the single most impressive of anything, is that it's a GPS That what, somehow, somehow from a satellite in outer space, when you have that phone, it determines your location anywhere on this globe, literally within inches of where you are standing. So that the idea is, if you take that with you and you travel, you will, and the idea is you'll never be lost again doesn't seem to always work like that. What's interesting is that's the world with the information that we have before us at our disposal at our fingertips. This will be speaking to the young ones. There used to be something, you young ones, you probably never heard of this before, but when you were driving in a car, you had this like large piece of paper that was folded up, crazy way to fold it up and unfold it, and you, you unfold it. It's bigger than the inside of any car. 
It's called a map. It's crazy, I know. It's not like here any longer. It's this piece of paper. You would unfold it, and you would what? You kind of look at the roots and the little squiggly lines, and you would, you would choose your route, and then you would follow it looking for signs, not listening, looking for signs to make left, make a right, or keep going. What is interesting is that when you traveled by way of a map or an atlas, inevitably something happened called getting lost. And we spend a lot of time getting lost. Now, what I think is more amazing than any phone is that years ago, there used to be someone on the side of the road, perhaps someone mowing his lawn or a woman working in her flower garden that you could actually stop and you could ask them directions according to this map. Do you know where I should be going? And you ask them, like, what do I do here? Now, generally speaking, there's only one of two responses. I have no pride whatsoever to, to pull over and say, I am completely lost. Do you know where I should be going? Look at this. And there's really only one of two responses. One is you're going the wrong direction. You're lost. You got to turn around. And you got to backtrack or else what? The second response is you're heading the right direction. You got to keep going. But you got to look for that marker up there. At that big red barn with a, with a tree, and at the bottom of the tree is a rock. Turn right, right there. And you tell people, you look for that marker, and then when you see that marker, you know which, which direction you're supposed to go. So in a sense, we get this idea of, you realize when we talk about how we mobilize the local church to, 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 to develop meaningful relationships, it kind of looks like someone asking you for directions that you have one of two responses, that what, if they're a Christian, they're heading in the right direction. Just look for that marker. Don't forget that. Keep going. Or else what? To a non-Christian, you're heading the wrong way. You, you, you need to turn around, and you need to go that direction. It's basically one of those two responses. God's Word says this in 1 Peter chapter 3, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Peter, in a sense, is saying why? As you are digging in your flower garden, someone's going to ask you a question. And you have one of two responses. Either it's a Christian or or a non-Christian. Either what? Keep going, keep going. Look for that. Or else you need to turn around. That's, in a sense, the on-ramp of how we begin to develop relationships. Yeah, but they drive away. No, 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 no. We talk about developing relationships by spending time. There's no doubt when we address the subject of reaching out, it's very, very obvious. We talk about speaking or sharing our faith in some way, telling, telling those who, who don't know Jesus about Jesus. There's a word for it. And it's called evangelism. That's the the churchy term for us. It's evangelism. What happens within the local church is that we say, yeah, but wait a minute. What what, what about us? What about those sitting in the chairs who are at church? What about those that are hurting and aching? What about those that need to be taught? Those that need to to, to be listened to? Those that need to grow? There's a word for that. Again, in churchy circles, we call it discipleship. 
And so what happens is there's this, there's this tension that exists within the local church. Do we focus on evangelism or do we focus on discipleship? The answer to that question is this. Yes. Yes. Do, do, we, do we spend time with unbelievers or do we spend time with believers? The answer to that question is yes. Do we focus inward as a church here, making sure that we have what we need, that we're growing, that, that we're encouraging? Or do we spend time with unbelievers? Yes. Do, do we only go to church to spend time with believers, or do we look for places? Let's go to the gym. Let's, let's go to the, 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 the park, wherever it is, to spend time with unbelievers. Do we do that, or do we do that? Yes, we do both of these things. They're good questions that leads us, secondly, to what I call a two-part command that we see in Scripture. First of all, we have a one-part objective. We mobilize the local church to build, develop meaningful relationships. Secondly, a two-part command is this. You can write this down. It is never evangelism or discipleship. But rather, it is always evangelism and discipleship. We've got to get this. You see, sometimes there's a joint that has not moved in a while that we are so prone on one that we forget the other, and that's where we've got to begin to, what? We've got to mobilize ourselves to look at things differently. Now, be assured when we talk about the fact that it's to be always evangelism and discipleship, this is clear, clear, clear biblical instruction. I'm not making this up. Okay, we finished, what, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, just last week. We talked about what Jesus before he ascends up into heaven, says, go and proclaim the gospel. We talked about that word, what? Disperse, caruso. It, it means to, 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 to preach. There's no doubt that talks about evangelism. And yet Matthew's account in Matthew chapter 28 says, what? Go and make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded. And talks about what? That discipleship relationship. And so we have both of these together as our two-part command, and that is specifically designed, that great commission, to support our own vision that we established, what, in May, April of 2013, Vision 2020, that what we know we're to build relationships so that God is glorified and lives are transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The question still is like, how do we do this? Like we, we live in a really unique time. Not only do we have, we, how, do, how do we do this? How do we do this well? Have you picked up on the fact that if you mention Jesus, if you talk about the word, the gospel, that there's this idea that, that many people, although we have more resources than ever before, many people are just antagonistic. They just shut down. When they hear, oh, you're Jesus, oh, your way. It's no, no doubt about the fact that we live in an age where people are very, very skeptical. They're very cynical. They're very, very critical. People are, are protective. They've kind of withdrawn inside. We don't want anyone stealing any of our stuff. We don't want our identity stolen. And we draw ourselves in. We isolate ourselves. And yet what's interesting is people claim to be more socially 
connected than ever before, and yet you have a conversation with someone, as strange and odd as that is, they seem actually more disconnected than ever before. There are, there are what, ever-increasing statistics of people who what? Who want nothing to do with church. We live right now in a society where it's one out of two, one out of two young people who grew up going to Sunday school, grew up going to church, that one out of two young people, by the time they get into the college years, want nothing to do with it. I don't want it. I hate that. There's, there's a, a category in our own society that is ever increasing in its, in its um, vocal popularity, referred to as nuns or nons, where they have no belief system. There's nothing. It's only what you can see and touch in front of you. I, I don't believe in anything. There's no God. There's no afterlife. There's nothing called eternity. There's nothing like that. They're nuns. Young people today are leaving churches, and what is interesting is that churches are closing doors because there's no more people coming to support the church. That's somewhat the the description of the day and the time, the era that we live in. And yet we know for some reason that God, who is always faithful, has chosen to bless this particular church at this particular time by God's grace and only by God's grace. And I'm certainly not suggesting that this is the only church that God is blessing. There are many churches that God still chooses to bless. And so we examine ourselves with more kids, with more people that have never been at this place over the past 30 plus years, that with that we have more opportunities than ever before, and therefore we also have more needs. There's more needy people than ever before. And we know what scripture talks about, the fact that what with great blessing comes greater responsibility. Our number one responsibility is what? It is very, very clear. We see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, whatever you do, you do everything to the glory of God. The greatest way to bring glory to God is literally by living and breathing and sharing one single message, and that is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet you and I know that the gospel is, it begins, it, it opens, its opening statement, its opening line of belief system is offensive. When, when, when it begins with, there is one holy God, perfect, sinless, Sovereign ruler and creator over everyone and everything. It doesn't imply that man is unholy. It means if there's a holy God, that man is unholy. And that's the part that people don't like to hear. I've, I've never done time in jail before, and I've never, never killed anyone. And I, I, I come to church. And, and so because the good things we, we do... People don't want to hear that they are unholy. So when we have this offensive message, what, what, what do we do about it? Do, do, we, 
Do we adjust it somehow? A lot of churches have said, well, this, this gospel, this is like offensive, so we got to soft sell it. Let's, let's, let's layer it back there somewhere so that there's several layers before actually we get to it. Do, do, we, do we water it down? Do we make it more pal- palpable in some way in order to attract more people? Because you've got to fill the seats. You've got to make sure the offering plate is full. Do we do that? Let, let, let me make it very, very clear as your pastor that if we hold to what is referred to a high view of Scripture, which we do, go to our website, bigwoods.org. First thing you see is about us and there's a little drop-down menu and you click on that and the first thing it says under what we believe is this, number one, and I quote, we believe that the Bible is the word of God and is our final authority for faith, for life, and for practice. Which means that everything that we do here, every song that we sing, Every lesson that is taught in every Sunday school class or home group, every message that is ever preached, we do it through a lens of how clear is the gospel presented. If we honestly believe, according to what it says, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, that God literally breathes this word. If we honestly believe that it is profitable for doctrine, proof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. If we honestly believe that this word, what, is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. If we honestly believe that the grass wither and the flower fades. Yesterday I picked dead roses off of my wife's rose bush. They're dead. They're gone. We honestly believe that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. If we honestly believe that this word before us is, as the psalmist writes, what a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's a whole lot better than some cheesy light on a cell phone. That this is the essence of everything that we do then what? We hold to a high view of Scripture. We, we don't have the option of soft-selling it. We, we don't have the option of altering it a little bit. We don't have the option of saying, let's just focus on either evangelism or discipleship. We don't have the option of doing that. We don't have the option of, let's like, yeah, let's call it quits here. There's like not as many. Let's, let's lock the doors. Let's close the place. We don't have the option. We don't have the option of just working with people that we would like to work with. Yeah, I like that one, but yeah, that one I'm not really kidding. No, we don't have that option. So what, what do we do in order to present that? Well, let's, let's, as many do, let's just turn up the volume. Let's make it loud. Let's turn down the lights and hit the fog machine, and that'll draw some people in. Let's... Let's just wait for Easter. Let's really, really pray and wait for Easter because we know everybody's going to go to church on Easter Sunday. What do we do? How do we present this? Bring in a bounce house into the parking lot. Let's, let's get funnier. Or how about if that preacher preached a little shorter? Maybe that would draw people in. A guy by the name of Dan Inseri pastors the city church in 
I believe it's Jacksonville or Tallahassee, Florida. He writes this, and I quote, I feel bad for pastors who believe that if their church simply changed its worship style, unbelievers would start showing up on Sunday mornings. For for many, this has been and continues to be a strategy to get non-Christians to church. He writes, when this vision is cast, I fear churches are setting themselves up for disappointment. Personally, I don't know many unbelievers who are likely to attend a church service. There are a few exceptions, of course, after the tragedy like 9-11 and Mother's Day, for example. He writes, he goes, well, what about great branding? What about social media? I've got some difficult news for you. Unbelievers in your community probably aren't following your church on social media. The pastor's really funny. He says, so is YouTube. Perhaps unintentionally, these efforts and creative ideas are designed to attract people who hop around from church to church looking for the flavor of the month. Our efforts, resources, and outreach are often well-suited to reach the disgruntled or bored Christian next door, which is not the mission of the church. Our mission is to reach the lost. So if our churches are going to faithfully reach the lost, we must remind ourselves of the basic truth that church people go to churches and unbelievers generally do not. But how do we do it? He says we have a strategy that's built around primarily reaching and equipping our own members. Why? Because if people love their church, they want their non-Christian friends to join them. People usually come to church because of a relationship and an invitation. Now, how much more valuable is that to even add, rather than you just loving your church, which I hope that you do, that even more than that, you love the one who died for this church. And that you know that what? When he walked out of that tomb, that you have the opportunity to live for the one who died and now lives again. We, we, we begin to get an understanding here that everything is rooted and grounded upon his word, his authority. Thirdly and finally, we have what we have seen in our text, what I call a three-part prayer. Returning to where we started this morning, Colossians chapter 4. Look at the three parts to it. We pray for number one, an open door. In a sense that someone stops by and says, oh yeah, by the way, do you know how to get to? We pray for that. Literally, we pray for that. God, give us opportunities. We pray for an opportunity, number two, to declare. Which means literally to speak. And then number three, as we speak, we pray what? That we speak a clear word. Look at how how Paul writes this. Pray that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Well, what is this word to declare? What is this mystery of Christ? Back up a couple chapters in the same book in Colossians in chapter 2. It says very clearly in verse 13 that once you were dead but you have been made alive. That's the mystery of Christ. Every single one of us. Once you were dead, but now you are alive. Do you realize sitting in this room at this very moment, how many people are here? 
How many stories can be shared of your own faith, of your own testimony, of you witnessing the miraculous transformation of your own life? Represented in this room, in all honesty, every single sin that we could ever imagine is all represented right here. That every single one of us were dead. Dead. And yet because of the Lord Jesus Christ, he forgave us and he gave us new life. That you and I have story after story and testimony after testimony to share exactly that. Why? So that every single person who asks you, you move them a little bit further down the road. That's what we do. Believer or unbeliever? Believer, keep going. Stay in the word. Stay on your knees. Keep loving. Pray that God give you grace and wisdom as you share that message. And to the unbeliever, what is, what is the word? What is our responsibility? You got to turn around. You're heading the wrong direction. At any moment, your life can be snuffed out. So turn now. Turn around right now. It's dangerous where you are going. What I have found as I have been praying and preparing for this is that there is a number of people, in all honesty, who literally are are like, could you teach me how to do this? Because I don't know how to. There's a willingness, but I I just don't know how, how to develop a meaningful relationship based on the gospel. I don't know how. So that's what we want to learn. There's also other people that are sitting here who claim to be followers of Jesus but you have no interest whatsoever of ever doing this, of ever engaging in conversation with another person for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I make something clear? And I know this is going to bother some of you. And it should. Just because you were six years old and, 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 and mommy and daddy presented to you, what, do you want to live in heaven forever and ever with us? Or do you want to burn in hell forever? And you're like, yeah, I, I want to I be with you, mommy. Just, just because you made that decision at that point, and maybe you were even baptized at some point after that, but there has never been a desire. There's never been a burning deep with inside to tell other people, stop going there. Turn from there. If you have no desire, then I have to tell you the truth. You're probably not even heading the right direction, that you need to turn, that you need to confess and repent, that every single one of us, every single day, we begin with what? Making sure that we are facing the direction that God has called us to face at the foot of the cross. What do we do? We mobilize. We mobilize the local church to develop meaningful relationships. It's going to include go and proclaim. It means what? Speaking and evangelizing to the lost. It's also going to mean go and make disciples, which means you're encouraging believers to remind them of one single message that, that, that God is holy and that you are not. And this is not a message that is reserved for a select few. And we should never be, I should never, ever, ever get the feeling or hear about the idea that it's us here safe and, and them out there. That it's the, the holy 
pious few who are here to save the, the, the pathetic poor sinner. No, no, it, it's, not, it's not like that. That, that, is, that, is, that. that is wrong in every way. It's untruthful, it's ungodly, it's unpleasing, and it's unproductive. We follow the model that has been given to us from Christ Jesus who left what? The glories of heaven to come and to live amongst us. That's what we're supposed to do. There's no, no sinner that's out there that's too dirty for you to talk to. It doesn't work like that. We know that what? Jesus came to care and to love unconditionally. So must we. Jesus came to offer hope and something different than the world has to offer. So must we. Jesus came to speak truth and he did it by investing and spending time with people who didn't know the truth. So must we. And so we have the first, what, introduction to where we're going to spend the next couple months to make sure we know how to do this and how to do this well. I'm so grateful that we have um, communion on this very morning for us to be reminded of that message that we are sharing of what Jesus Christ did for us when he was sitting with those disciples in the upper room and he took bread and he said, in a sense, I want to give you an object lesson here so that you don't forget it. When you see this, when you smell this, it stays deep within. Jesus took bread and he broke it and he said, this is a picture of my body. My body's going to be broken, torn. I'm going to do this for you because I love you. Christ also what took the fruit of the vine and he poured it out and he said, this is a picture, this is a symbol of my blood that's going to be poured out for you, the precious blood of the Lamb. It, it, just, it just blows my mind away that Jesus lived his entire life in the form and the flesh of a man just like us. And he did not sin ever, yet without sin. Why? Because he alone was the lamb that was able to take away the sins of the world. And so we have this reminder before us this morning, and it says that we're to regularly remember what Jesus Christ did for us by offering his body and his blood to take away our sins. And that's what we want to do today. We're going to pause. We're going to celebrate. We take time and quietness and reverence and respect This is not something that we race through, something silly. This is not something we take because the person next to us took it. This is you acknowledging what Jesus Christ has offered. And with an amazing and a sincere attitude of gratitude, you accept it as a gift, as a reminder and a motivation for the message that we share with others. I'm going to invite the elders to come at this point who are here, there should be enough. If not, some other men can assist. They're going to serve you first the um, bread. I'll ask the blessing on both the bread and the cup. Then they will serve you the cup, and we will partake of this together.
Would you pray with me? Lord, we come um, again into your presence grateful, most grateful for the gift of grace and the offering of salvation and eternal life, forgiveness of sins. We thank you, Lord, that you've rescued us. We thank you, Lord, for the reminder that has been placed before us this morning of the price that was paid on our behalf, that it was your own son who took and bore the full weight of your wrath, who paid the price that we simply could not pay. Father, we take this bread and this cup as a reminder of what you have done, but also, Lord, as a motivation to tell others about the sacrifice of Jesus that was made on behalf of every single person, regardless of their sin. We thank you, Lord, for your love that remains constant and unconditional for your mercy. Father, we just thank you for this church that that desires, I believe, holy desires and completely desires to tell others of you. Give us the strength and the means to do that and do that faithfully and to do that well. We ask this in the strong name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. It says that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
It says, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. Stand with us, please, as we close.